Hello and welcome to another Scientology Fair Game episode. Hi, Mikey. Hi, Lily. So we're, this is part two. Part two. Du. 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 Dos. Dos. We could spend the first half hour discussing the French pronunciation of this. That would be, be brilliant, wouldn't it? Or the yeah. English one. Or the English, yeah. <laughs> and with us again for another episode is our guest. It's always a pleasure to welcome John Atak to our program. And we are carrying on with Hubbard's Lies Part 2, uh, where we're going to focus on uh, the post Dianetics era, which is actually, in my view, the most interesting. Anyway, hi, John. Hi, Hey, John. Hiya. I love that. And before we move on to, to, to that, can you, can you explain to everybody wh- what the difference is between Dianetics and Scientology? Uh, yeah, Hubbard lost the rights to Dianetics and had to <laughs> rename it. To uh, who? Uh, to Don Purcell in Wichita, Kansas. Um, and where's the- that guy? Uh, he's long gone. Gotcha. Um, he did leave a record of it. You can find a, a thing called the Aberie uh, newsletter, which is online, and Don Purcell's articles about what happened are all recorded in there. Um, but he, he was an oil man and real estate developer who rescued Hubbard as all of the original foundations were going bankrupt, which they did, the hmm. five original foundations. And, Even though Scientology uh, is a New York Times bestseller, how did it, how did it go bankrupt? Well, the, you spend uh, right. more money than you make. <laughs> Hubbard spent a, a lot of money interviewing people over the years. I, I found that the common expression was he spent money like water. And um, so the main expense of the Hubbard Dianetic Research Foundation was L. Ron Hubbard, who yeah, would well, just dip his hand guess, in still and take money. Okay, that, that's the, that's the uh, normal answer, I guess. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Yeah. But it's but I guess n- no, but 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 Elvin Hubbard was trying to get Dianetics to be um, viewed as as a as a real self help. I mean, he was trying to get it, you know, the the American uh, Psychiatric Association to to bring Dianetics aboard, you know, as as a as a bona fide legit way to to deal with mental illness, right? So that that didn't work. So you're saying that it it did it only didn't survive not because it didn't work, but because he just spent more money than so it did work and it just, he just spent more money than than No, than, no, no. The, the reason it went bankrupt was that yeah. he spent the money. The reason yeah. it collapsed um within months really of coming about. You know, you have the release of the book on the 9th of May 1950, then right. you have the Shrine Auditorium in August 1950, where a woman who, who's variously named, but let's call her Sonia Bianca, who's a physics major, goes up on the stage as the first clear to demonstrate how fantastic this thing is. And she doesn't remember physics formulae, even though she's meant to have perfect recall because she's now clear of all her engrams. And when Hubbard turns his back, somebody says, what color is his necktie? And she doesn't know. So that caused quite a lot of bad press that the publisher, Hermitage House, uh, headed by Art Sipos, who'd been a huge admirer of Hubbard's, he decided it was a fraud. So he uh, stopped the publication of the book. It had sold 150,000 copies, much to Hubbard's surprise, I think. 
And he then commissioned a book by Dr. Joseph Winter, who'd worked with Hubbard on the original Dianetics, called A Doctor's Report on Dianetics, in which Winter says, I think the techniques are probably good, but this Hubbard is a terrible person. Right. Um, so there was still this sense that it, it might work, and there were people like the science fiction writer A. E. Van Vogt, who basically stopped writing fiction, which is a terrible loss, and dedicated the rest of his life. I, I was in touch with him in 1984, and yeah. so 34 years later, he was still focused on giving people Dianetic therapy. Right, so there were right. people who thought it worked. Um, well, and and the you popularity know, that... had gone; the mass popularity had just evaporated. You know? Sure. So that's so that was really the the end of Dianetics. Uh, and I and I should also add, gentlemen, that you know maybe at the time in 1950, what was in Dianetics was a very the uh, formative year. You know, there's formative techniques, uh, psychology in there, and I've had other people look at these techniques. I've told people about these techniques, and and because psychology in the field of mental health has evolved so much, these are actually detrimental to people's well-being. And so I don't want to promote in any way, shape, or form that Dianetics is something to be applied because we're talking about 1950. The original technique yeah. only, only has one difference from the technique used by Josef Breuer, which is the foundation of, of Freud's techniques. Mm -hmm. um, that difference is the idea that, that there are recordings made mm -hmm. that are played back unconsciously, but all of the chains, trauma, the repeater technique, all of these methods are described in a lecture by Freud in 1911. Mm -hmm. uh, and he explains that it, the reason he stopped using the technique is because it makes people more dependent. <laughs> and the whole point of his therapy was to make people you know, resolve the transference, as he put it, to become less dependent upon others. And he said it had the opposite effect. So it was kind of anti-therapeutic. Yes. OK, good. All right. So let's go now. So then Scientology is then <laughs> invented. Yeah. Well, <laughs> invented or, or stolen from Alistair Crowley. It depends which way you look at it. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the funny thing is, Mike, is that, you know, these books are still, like Dianex is still being sold to us Scientologists, right? All Scientologists are forced to read Dianetics. Oh, yeah. It's it's pushed like it, crazy. It is. Oh, yeah. The Nation of Islam is, is book being forced. One. Yes. It's a Nation of, of Islam is, is uh, performing these techniques on each other. Right. As yes. we speak. Yeah. <laughs> Solving the world's about. problems with that. Yeah. Well, but, fucking but, each other up, but, you know, yeah, however but, you yeah. want to. Yeah. But it's, it's actually very interesting that you say that, Leah, because for a time, Hubbard claimed that Dianetics was basically useless. Right. After, you know, maybe we should do this sort of chronologically because it's it's kind of an interesting story that a lot of people are unaware of. Yeah. Uh, how this sort of all rolled out, and we yeah. can do it pretty briefly because Please. the most amazing um, fallacies that that the whole subject is rests upon derive from these very early things that Hubbard put out like dianetics as john quite rightly says was published on may 9th 1950 and and it did become a bestseller it was uh a fad and when push came to shove of living up to the claims that are made in the book which 
it's funny. I was flicking through looking for something the other day, and it says, you know, toothaches are all psychosomatic. And mm. and dentists who are doing, you know, molar extractions uh, are barbarians because they're not actually following the principles of psychosomatic illness that are contained in Dianetics and how of these barbarians. I got to stop you right here. Mike, I have to stop you right here. Our, our listeners are finally, they finally have an answer. I don't know how many times I have been asked, what's with this guy's, what's with his fucking teeth? And I think this mystery solved. He was waiting for the order. Maybe. Yeah. That, Just another that, 20 years and his teeth would have been fine. Then you have Ron Howes, of course, who left Dianetics and set up his own thing and claimed he'd grown new teeth. <laughs> Maybe a good starting point would be to say what he claimed in Dianetics, and I have that right in front of me. That oh, lovely. In the book Dianetics, The Modern Science of Mental Health, he said that a clear, somebody who completed this therapy, and I have found the reference, Mike, in the book Dianetics, he says that he had cleared 273 people by this time, none of whom has ever come forth for interview. Uh, until this date. But maybe if somebody's listening, if you were cleared in 1949 by Warren Hubbard, please come and, and tell us about it. But a clear would have full control of his imagination and near perfect memory. He wouldn't have no compulsions, repressions, or psychomatic ills. Um, IQ would soar by as much as 50 points, and the clear would be, and I quote, phenomenally intelligent. Um, through Dianetics, the individual would be freed of psychoses and neuroses. And among the psychosomatic conditions Dianetics claimed to cure were asthma, poor eyesight, color blindness, hearing deficiencies, stuttering, allergies, sinusitis, arthritis, high blood pressure, coronary trouble, dermatitis, ulcers, migraine, conjunctivitis, morning sickness, alcoholism, and the common cold. That's so these 273 people uh, who he'd managed to fit in to his schedule, giving them about 10 minutes each by my reckoning, had, had all been got to this point. He also claims it would alleviate tuberculosis and he would later add cancer and leukemia. And so you could raise people from the dead. But that's getting us into Scientology territory in 1950. Right. So, so let's. But, so, but also, and also okay. that throw away your glasses yeah. and make the lame walk. Correct. Yeah. I, I mean, the blind see and the lame walk. It's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, so that's not figuratively. Yeah. And, and, and that sort of derives from his claims that he had cured himself of being blinded and crippled in the war, which, which was also just a, a complete load of shit. Now, yeah, I have invented so I, He wore glasses to the end of his life. He had very poor eyesight. Um, and he also had asthma to the end of his life and bursitis, yes. which he says he could cure. It's all it's all nonsense. It's all and just to, and, and to be fair, I mean, Mike, you and I attested to clear. Um, I did as well. I, oh, you did. Okay, sorry, really? uh, but not. Are, were you OT? Are you OT, Jack? I am OT yes. five. Come on. Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Um, okay, <laughs> okay. So now, uh, so we all went clear. Now I remember going clear. I was, you know, uh, apparently a last lifetime clear. I don't mean to brag. Oh, um, a natural clear. I yeah, he's a John's a natural clear, so yeah. he's got your beat. Okay, <laughs> so. <laughs> And and we won't take the time to to describe this nonsense to you all because it's just nonsense. But um, I remember going clear, 
and not having achieved any of those things. And I was yeah. like, well, I'm allergic to everything. I'm constantly sneezing. You know, I, I have all these ailments still. And uh, the answer was, well, you are only clear, you know, you're like a, a baby, right? Like that. that's kind of how it's explained, right? Like you just kind of learn to, to crawl and there's more to come on the confidential levels. Like that was the answer that was given to me. Yeah. Mike, what was the answer given? Like what? Yeah. So were you guys given any excuses when you, I don't know if you were honest like I was? Like I didn't, I'm not seeing shit really. Did you guys I, I, ever bring up any of these types of things? Yeah, sure. I, I, after I did the third OT level, yeah. I, I went in and, and said, you know, I don't really feel there's been any benefit from this. And I really thought I was going to be in trouble, you know? Yeah. And, and they just the said guy, to keep going? Well, the guy who actually was selling it to me was yeah. the most senior. Um, technical person in yeah. the United Kingdom. And he looked at me and I thought he's going to, you know, send me to ethics or qualifications yeah. or, or somewhere. And he said, yeah, a lot of people find that. <laughs> I found surprising. And it, you need OT4, he said. So I did OT4. I borrowed the money. I did OT4. Yeah. And when I went in two days after doing that, saying, I don't really feel any benefit from this. All the, I don't think those junky body thetans were causing me that much trouble, you know, little beings. And um, he looked at me with a straight face and he said, yeah, a lot of people find that. <laughs> you need OT5. Yeah. That's the answer. But, and but it, got, Leah, I think, yeah. that, I think that everybody in Scientology is so um, conditioned, almost Pavlovian conditioned, to knowing that this is the case, that they, yeah. without you even having to say anything, yeah. They start telling you the benefits of the next thing. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Hubbard wrote about clears and he said, a clear immediately is in the danger zone as soon as he is clear. He's in the non-interference zone mm -hmm. and right. is in grave danger until right. he completes OT3. Right. Especially and if he looks at any of the book covers, which are images taken from <laughs> OT3. <laughs> right. But this this idea that big promise not attained, next big promise now will attain it, not attained, next big promise now will attain it, yeah. is the pattern all the way from the bottom of the bridge to, to okay. the very top. Yeah, absolutely right. And and and, 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 and Mike, the other part is that. Uh, you know, we're not that gullible. I don't want people to go like, well, you're fucking idiots for believing it, right? You you know, I just want to remind everybody, you're raised in it, you want to believe it, your whole family is in it, and unless you're willing to put down the book and say, I'm out, I'm ready to disconnect from everything I've ever known, to be on my own, to lose my Scientology job, like that is the that is the decision you need to make at every turn. And I think... At the end of it, you're just hopeful that that's true. Remember, this is your church. You don't believe they mean you any harm, right? And so you're not looking at them with any kind of uh, critical thinking. You're thinking, okay, they don't mean me. There's something I must not know, right? Yes. Yeah. And I, I, and, and I, mean, I think you also raise another point, which is there the hope that something good or something that yeah. has been promised is yeah. going to eventuate Right. is an incredibly powerful motivating force. I mean, you, you, Listen, you know. I think anybody who's married could understand this concept, right? I mean, we're, I'm all <laughs> very hopeful that Angela will one day learn 
when I say I don't want a computer for Christmas or a new <laughs> vacuum, that I mean it. I'm very hopeful. That when what I put on my list of things that I want, I actually fucking mean that. Very hopeful that very things hopeful. will change. Very hopeful. I mean, and I, I, I knew two NASA physicists who are in Scientology. One of them was on the Apollo programs. Um, I knew eight medical doctors in the UK alone and three dentists. People who have doctorates, people who are very highly qualified. It's, it's a mistake to believe that intelligence is in some way useful in protecting you from scams. Yeah, yeah. Because what will tend to happen, it's it's an emotional thing. We connect to yeah. things, we attach to things emotionally. Yeah. Uh, there's a great story that Cialdini tells in the wonderful book Influence, where he and a professor of logic attended a presentation by two transcendental meditation people. And at the end of the presentation, the professor of logic stood up and he said, well, this doesn't add up, this doesn't add up, this. He just went through it point by point. Yeah. And the first guy came to the microphone and said, I can't answer that. And the second guy came to the microphone and went, uh, you have some good points. And then people signed up for the course. Right. People who had heard all of this signed up for the course. So at the door, <laughs> Cialdini and his friend said, well, why did you sign up? And they said, well, if we thought about what you said, we wouldn't do it. And then we wouldn't have any hope. So right. exactly that point of believing there'll be some benefit. And all these people around you, all these smiling people who are selling you this thing and yeah. telling you how great it is. I, I got... There's something that happened to me that's really strange. When I was on the final level that I took, OT5, the yeah. upper levels, the supernatural bullshit, there was a woman called Stephanie Ryburn who had been the mission holder for Birmingham in, in the UK, which is where I came in. And she had always kind of looked down on me. You know, I was long-haired hippie and all of this, and I felt that she was kind of looking. But she was an OT. She'd achieved this level. Yeah. And Seven years went by, and I finally got onto OT3. And uh, so it did OT3, and I'm on OT5, and I come out of the waiting room, and she follows me. She, I swear, she had never smiled at me before. She had never called me by name before. Yeah. Uh, she was a class eight auditor, so she was very high up, mm -hmm. and she had actually done OT3 with on the ship with Ron Hubbard, mm -hmm. right? So there was no question of anybody messing it up. And she was grinning and she looked at me and she said, John, isn't it fantastic that Ron's given us something that clears up the mess that OT3 makes? Oh. And that was not the attitude that had been given to me when I was sold OT3. I have never heard that. <laughs> so all of these wow. years, she'd been miserable, not right. because she thought something bad about yeah. me, but because she was trying to deal with the mess in her head. And I've met a lot of people who had that problem with OT3. Sure. Sure. Yeah. All right. So uh, let, let, let's uh, let's get back to to post Dianetics. So so Dianetics goes to rest, even though Scientology forces people to read and apply Dianetics. But. Well, let's go post Dianetics. Gives Dianetics back to Hubbard in 1955. Ah. So all of the copyrights and names. And he writes the book Dianetics 55. Ah. To celebrate the fact that come back. Uh -huh. That's the reconciliation of Dianetics and Scientology. And he did a Congress even about it. And Dianetics 55 is this book that basically says, oh, well, um, I guess everything's good. I figured out how to make these two things work together and that they actually complement one another. Well, if even you go back. The announcement of Scientology, he'd said, oh, Dianetics is no good. <laughs> right. right. But he canceled the first book saying it's hypnotic. 
It's hypnotizing people, you know. And it all came. It, but but Leah, I'm not sure if you know, and I'm I'm sure a lot of our listeners are not aware of the fact that after Hubbard had written Dynetics and it had it had become a bestseller, and then he went and did the sort of infamous uh Sonia Bianca demonstration at the Shrine Auditorium. Things go a little bit strange in the world of L. Ron Hubbard. And he, how? <laughs> he, I mean, this is the guy who has now become the sort of perfect human being, you know, based on his own criteria, uh, <laughs> criteria and explanation. And he's cured himself and he has no psychoses and he's this and he's that. And the next thing you know, like like making a very long story very short he's he's off doing you know uh weird sex black magic practices with Jack Parsons in Pasadena and stealing Jack Parsons girlfriend uh Sarah and who's, then who's Jack Parsons <laughs> Jack Parsons okay. was a Caltech physicist who invented solid rocket fuel without whom the uh, space program would have not possible um he was also a, a follower of alistair crowley and um so he performed sex magic ceremonies okay. um and he and hubbard tried to incarnate the scarlet woman spoken about in the revelation of of john at the end of the bible who will bring about the end of the world okay. uh, it's called the babylon working the magic ceremony and basically what they did was that uh, jack parsons masturbated while hubbard played uh, a piece of music called the Isle of the Dead and wrote down various instructions. And indeed a woman did turn up to become the mother of the Antichrist, the mother of, uh, so that's the kind of thing he did for fun uh, at the end of 1946. What the fuck? Yeah. He wasn't actually crippled and blinded. He was practicing sex magic. Yeah. And right. if you want to be very complicated, Sarah, who he ran away with, uh, Sarah Hollister, was not only Jack Parsons' girlfriend, she was also his sister-in-law. He was married to her sister. And she's wow. 19 or 20 or something. They run off to Florida having created Allied Enterprises, was it, Mike? That yeah, I think that was what it's called. They put all of their money in, the few hundred dollars that Hubbard has got and the $35,000 that Parsons has got. They go and buy boats, yachts with them in Florida. And Parsons sues them. So that's a whole other set of episodes involved you know in the the build-up and of course he hubbard the 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 great family man who yeah. we will eventually get to talking about that has abandoned meanwhile his wife and son and daughter nibs and katie wait wait, wait, wait. so he's he, with sarah he steals this girl sarah yeah. right but he's married with children yes okay, okay you didn't say that part there's a lot of shit i don't know mike this is insane okay yeah. so He's married, doing all some crazy shit with this other dude, he, and takes the girl, and he's married with... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. He bigamously marries Sarah without bothering to divorce his first wife. He pays no maintenance or support towards uh, his children who are born in 1934 and 1936, and goes off into the next set of adventures, basically. Uh, Sarah... Sarah, of course, will sue him for divorce, which is where the Dianetic Scientology fracture actually starts to occur because he steals their child. He has a child in March 1950, Alexis Valerie Hubbard. Um, 
he dedicated the book Science of Survival to her. He later denied paternity, even though she has the red hair and, and all of that. I mean, he, he started in L.A. drinking a bottle of scotch a day when he was living with Barbara Snader and then having these morose fits where he'd go and lie down for three or four days in bed and complain that nobody loved him. And then he'd come out and dictate a bit more onto these little green dictaphone discs. I actually had the incredible privilege of seeing one of them once. <laughs> um, wow. And then he takes Richard DeMille, who happens to be the son of Cecil B. DeMille, the adopted son and blood nephew of Cecil B. DeMille, one of the most famous people in Hollywood. And DeMille goes off with him to Cuba and ends up looking after the baby and transcribing from these little discs and eventually writing the book Science of Survival. Hubbard didn't even write the book. He just threw a lot of discs at poor DeMille and DeMille right. had to make some sense of it, which right. is possibly why Science of Survival is the only well-written book in <laughs> ontology. Okay. <laughs> and the one that got me in. So, you know, I'm... But this guy, Don Purcell, yeah. who was a big... Uh, advocate of Dianetics okay. had stepped in to try and save the Dianetics Foundation that was had fallen into really terrible times when Hubbard took off to Cuba with Alexis. And also being sued by the New Jersey Medical Authority for practicing medicine without a license because of all these ridiculous claims of cure. Right. So he's and and the bankruptcy. Right. And the divorce case and, you know, the the Jack Parsons trying to get his money back. And like it was his his life was a complete wreck. Right. And Purcell said, look, I will get you back to the United States. He didn't have enough money to get back to the U.S. Purcell sent his private plane to pick him up from Cuba. And brought him to Wichita, where then there was the big falling out because now Hubbard thinks Jack, I mean, uh, Don Purcell is somehow angling to take over the world of Dianetics and steal his stuff. Okay. And it, this, is a, this is a pattern that Hubbard had throughout his life, mm -hmm. this idea that people were stealing things from him. That yeah. they were because taking... I mean, uh, isn't that just the obvious, Mike? I mean, she's accusing everyone of doing what he was doing. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. criminal accuses others of things <laughs> yeah. he himself is doing. Yeah. Ron... yeah, exactly. Well, I highly doubt that Elron Hubbard came up with that. But go ahead. No, he, well, I already came up with it, but he did say it, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's so true. I used yeah. to keep a picture of him from a magazine which had that underneath it: the criminal yeah. accuses others of things he himself is doing yeah and he yeah. certainly did what we see is he gets a an infatuated attachment to somebody he really yeah, loves yeah. them and then yeah. 10 minutes later he, they are the devil with yeah, with yeah. purcell what happened was he sent his business manager james elliott in and james elliott inadvertently stole se 75 pounds in weight inadvertently was the word he used in court for it 75 pounds of the the print um plates that were used the address plates of all the mailing list of Dianetics. He accidentally picked up these three 25 pound boxes and put them in his car. And curiously, 31 letters were sent to that whole mailing list by L. Ron Hubbard, who just got nastier and nastier about 
Don Purcell. There's one where he calls him a, a moneyed Montebank because he can't spell mountebank properly. Well, I don't um, even know what the hell that is. But it, it, it's a is that an English a uh, uh, curse word? <laughs> what? It, it, yeah, is it, that a hoity-toity word for something? Yes, else? very. Word for, what? For what is it? A confidence trickster. A confidence. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad you found that so amusingly. <laughs> we aim to please. What can I say? Uh, uh, <laughs> so, so suddenly he's against him. Then in somewhere around February 1952, as the Hubbard Dianetic Foundation goes bust, um, to everyone's surprise, the a judge just says, oh, you can buy it out of bankruptcy. And Purcell, I think, pays $800 and gets everything. He owns the copyright to the books. Oh, wow. Name Dianetics. And Hubbard's out in the cold going, well, I originally meant to call this Scientology. <laughs> and he takes a, a Greek word and a Latin word and puts them together, which is you're not meant to, to do, you know. Yeah. Philos and Sophos are both Greek, but he takes... Uh, Logos, which is Greek for word or study, and he, he says that he takes skio from the Latin skienta, meaning knowledge. So it means the study of knowledge. I would aver that you need to go into Greek, and I don't speak Greek, so don't worry too much. Okay. Um, skio in Greek means ghosts or shadows. Oh. So you could say that Scientology is the study of things that do not exist. <laughs> Makes the invisible visible. Cheerio. Give me the money. Anyway, anyway, Leah, so yeah. he abandons Dianetics yeah. and heads to Phoenix. He leaves Wichita and he goes and sets up shop in Phoenix, Arizona, where he now invents Scientology okay. as the new thing. And he starts writing to the, you know, this mailing list that he had gotten and inviting people to come to Phoenix to hear now his lectures, and you've probably heard as a the Phoenix lectures, the Phoenix lectures, yes, and there he is working away with his amphetamines and various other things, and he comes up with Scientology, and there is a lot, you know, a lot we're leaving out uh, about this history, but he comes up with Scientology, and. The first book of Scientology is actually uh, What to Audit, now called History of Man. Uh -huh. And this book is an astonishing piece and still uh, considered to be valid shit. And Russell this is the. By, by whom? By whom? <laughs> by Scientologists. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, History of Man is still like required study for all Scientologists sure. to learn. Russell Miller said that this is perhaps the most absurd book ever written. <laughs> and I think there's a chance he's right. And know. yet when I read it, I really thought I was learning some things. You, I mean, I was really, because yeah. you, you get the assertion right at the beginning where Hubbard yeah. says absolutely without with his his patented certainty. Yeah. This is a cold-blooded and factual account of your last 60 trillion years. Uh -huh. Yeah. Now, that's the American which is only a million million, in case anybody was, was worried. <laughs> as far as science goes at the moment, this universe is just short of 14 billion years. <laughs> so 
he was thinking a lot further than contemporary well, scientists. Because he's much more evolved than us, darling. He had right. a bigger head, what can yeah. I say? <laughs> That's more brain? Not necessarily. Uh, oh, I see. More fat in the head, I think. Right. right. Yeah. This whole uh, book is based on Hubbard's new uh, invention that came along with Scientology called mm. the E-meter. Mm. And well, all Hubbard's of this... Invention, it, let's be honest about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Volney Matheson's invention that Hubbard stole and claimed was his. I mean, this is another one of those... This is another one of those things where... At the outset, when Volney Matheson was there, Hubbard sort of acknowledged the fact that Volney Matheson had made the meter and blah, 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 and sort of gave him credit. And then after a while, it kind of translated into uh, or morphed into the Hubbard electrometer, and Volney Matheson kind of got forgotten. In fact, he got written out of history pretty much entirely in Scientology. Yeah, and, but, and curiously, those original machines were mains-powered. They weren't battery-powered, and they could give you a heck of a shock. <laughs> Come and get your auditing, you know? Right. right. Yeah. So, so Hubbard claimed that he had done this incredible research into the 60 trillion years of life mm. uh, that was all verified on the E-meter. And... Right. That is what that book is, is rambling stories of weird shit that he and uh, whoever else was around. Mary Sue, I think, have showed Mary up by Sue then. Winter, Nibs was, was back. Still, he was 19 or 20 at the time, uh, Mary Sue. And um, she'd wanted to be a petroleum engineer, apparently. That was her, you know, that was what she, her ambition in life. And along, as you say, comes his first son, uh, born in 1934, so now just 18 years old, and as with so many abandoned children, desperate to spend time with his father. And what what Nibs, the first son, said is that he, he I was in touch with him back in 84, a fascinating character. Um, he said that he arrived and his father greeted him, gave him a handful of amphetamines and said, lie on the couch and tell me what you think. And so in, in just two weeks of incredibly yeah. profound research, two weeks, think of this, these three people, Mary Sue Ron and L. Ron Jr., managed to research 60 million, million years. Right. You know, you find me a historian who can do that. It took me six years just to do Hubbard and, and Scientology and let's sell right, this right. piece of blue sky. And so, then how many, how, many, how many children does Ron have at this point? Uh, he's, Three. he's yeah he he's he hasn't got yeah he hasn't had any of the four with Mary Sue yet so he has three that are recognized uh -huh. there may well be others it's hard to tell gotcha. but of course you know Leah that that's for sure he, after kidnapping Alexis and then dedicating science of survival to her he's when he finally, uh, when her, her mother finally gets the divorce, he then starts telling everybody who will listen that this is not really his son, uh, his, daughter, his daughter, that she is the daughter of Miles Hollister, who Sarah subsequently married. Yeah. So, which is impossible. 
it, it was it, it's it's absolutely impossible if you've ever seen a picture of Alexis. Mm. <laughs> I mean, she looks more like Elron Hubbard than any of his other six children, and it's just crazy. Mm. But okay, so then we I go from a really nice person, by the way, as well. She's great. I bet. Which is one of the things with I know four of Hubbard's descendants, and they're all really smart, and they're all really decent, pleasant people. I, I can't figure it that this man, you know, genetically should have passed something on, but he didn't. And he, of course, came from a lovely family background. You know, his childhood was was remarkable. It was very supportive. He was in a very loving family. Well, so something, yeah, something wasn't right. I mean, he had... He uh, wasn't right. He wasn't. Yeah. And from a very early age, he wasn't right. He, If you look to his... The diaries we have of his trips to, to China when he's 16, 17, there's this peculiarity that there are three diaries for two journeys. And the third one is where he has retyped his experiences to make them sound better. So what was wrong with him from a very early age was he exaggerated. And if he'd just right. stayed a fiction writer, that would... exactly. You know, okay. Yes. He took us all but, in. But, the- but but obviously genius. He built a three billion dollar cult. You know, oh, business for profit. I mean, he is genius. Be, yeah. He he's a, a genius at manipulating others. Yeah. The you know people like John Sanborn are the people who made the money. If if you look at say um, Jeff Hawkins and what he did in the nineties to get Dynetics back out there. Right. Right. I think as in counterfeit dreams is he ignored all of hubbard's advice right all- on how to successfully sell something right yeah. But, yeah. and hubbard managed to attract <laughs> people who could eventually earn more than he could spend yeah but right it took a while and of course when Scientology comes about we're talking about a tiny group now there have been 150,000 copies of dianetics but i think the first uh, in 52 the first um, uh, first new congress, the Scientology Congress. There are 114 people at. By December, when he runs the the infamous Philadelphia Doctorate course, sit and listen to me for six weeks, and you have a doctorate. There's something. There are only 38 people on that course. So this massive following has collapsed, and right into the 60s, he will have hundreds or maybe thousands of followers. It will be tiny. But he will hit on people who are rich, and he will drain their money away. Uh, until but I, and I, I think actually, really, where his success came was getting really people who were were middle class to give up and work for Scientology. Like I don't think there was a lot of whales in Scientology in the beginning, like they do have today with you know the Duggins and and the Nancy Cartwrights of the world, right? But um, back then, I think you know having many. Right at a level of like we just make money to give it to Scientology is the way that this was formed, and, and still is today. Sally, I think first yeah. of a series yeah. of very wealthy people. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of money in, and yeah. he's very often got somebody in South Africa and Australia yes. who he's draining. At the same time, as you say, I mean, now it's very simple. You've got the rich people who can afford the half a million dollars to do it. Yeah, exactly, and not having to pay taxes now, and 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 like you said, the you know the Sea Org, uh, Sea Org members who work twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, you know, are getting paid fifty dollars an hour. I mean, a, a week, fifty dollars an hour. 
fifty dollars a week. <laughs> um, but but uh, let's get back to let's get back to your timeline here with Dianetics. You know, it initially it's just Scientology. It's not Church of Scientology, and he's kind of stuck because he doesn't have any new ideas. So if you look at the work in 1952, I wrote a paper called Possible Origins for Dianetics and Scientology many years ago. And that shows that most of those ideas come from Alistair Crowley, who will always be the go-to guy for Hubbard. Okay. That actually brings us into something which, which is not directly relevant to this, but is the most directly relevant thing of all about Scientology. And that is that just as he had performed a magical ceremony with Jack Parsons, the Babylon working, in the attempt to bring the devil to the world, the beast 666 to the world, he would then go on to develop a magical ceremony, a set of rituals, which incorporated human beings as the elements within the ceremony. So Scientology is a way of creating power for Owen Hubbard, not simply on the level of having money, not simply on the level of having human slaves, of whom he had many, but on the level of controlling people's minds so utterly that he will be able to vampirically use that energy. That, I believe, is, was the real purpose of Scientology. Um, and it, it's very difficult to get through, but to magicians, it's what's called a magical working. And, you know, even the whole thing about body thetans fits into all of that. He starts walking into that world in 52 when he starts talking about us having entities living inside us. Nobody's really taking it, though. So by about 1955, he drops all of that. It all comes back again later, you know, just as the procedures in uh, creation. Right, right, yes. Yeah, yeah. Creation of human ability from what 54 around there, they come back as OT levels in the 1960s. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, they're now totally secret and you're not meant to know anything about them. So he's losing his followers. He's picking up Alistair Crowley techniques. The, the essential technique is visualization, what he will call creative processing. And it comes straight from his version of it, comes straight from Crowley. And he will stealth then sell this to people on the grounds that where Dianetics was about becoming a um, perfect human being, total recall and perfect emotional balance, impervious to viruses and all of that, Scientology is about being a spiritual being. And there's a very good reason for this. He'd been sued by the New Jersey Medical Association. And so he couldn't be claiming cure and as he'd said to a number of people in the late 40s, if you want to make a million, you start a religion. Right. So so what was the outcome of that of that case? Because I, I still don't get why Dianetics is still Dian in print and being sold as a self-help. The legal entity, the legal entity that is called the Hubbard Dianetic Research Foundation had gone bankrupt. Yeah. So it could not be sued. It was that simple. So by bankrupting everything, Purcell had got them out of all of the legal difficulties. There were various other cases that came, you know, the Food and Drug Administration went after Hubbard into the 60s, particularly for the E-meter. But he was moving into this other place where, okay, I've claimed I can cure cancer and leukemia and all of that, but it's a spiritual claim. Right. I, I'm not doing it physically. Well, it so doesn't I, say that, in, but it doesn't say that in Dianetics today, though. 
It doesn't. No, but it, yeah. it, it, but if you, if printed in the start of every book mm-hmm. since 1963, it does say this stuff doesn't work. Oh yeah, but who reads that? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> lawyers. That's not required reading in Scientology. Uh, ne- neither but, but, are the neither the enrollment forms that you are forced to sign. No, that's required not reading. <laughs> <laughs> Do not read this. Ah, just, just sign skip, it. Just skip let's get busy. That. Which is the what I was told. Print, which is what I was told printed. every time I said I had to sign a legal document in Scientology. Ah, just just initial it. Yeah, that's it. Small to that. print taketh away, in the words of Tom Waits. <laughs> okay, but let's just focus on this issue of Scientology becoming a church, because Hubbard had a lot to say about religion uh, for a long, long, long time. Like. All the way through towards the end of his life, you know, he had a nasty things to say about the subject of religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but well, he, he derides Christianity in in the Philadelphia, oh, of course, and uh, and Buddhism, and I mean, like it's it's sort of an endless stream of stuff because they're not Scientology, so mm-hmm. they're all bad. But and yeah, he <laughs> he decides. Uh, that maybe this religion angle is worth pursuing after well, let's, a woman. Let's put a date on it. It's the 10th yeah. of April, 1953. A woman called Helen O'Brien is now the head of the Hubbard Association of Scientologists. She's about 21 years old, poor girl. Uh, she she actually says she too had sex with him, that, that it was commonplace. It was quite normal. And then she says he wasn't promiscuous in the same interview. Um, but whatever. She's now in charge. And he writes her this wonderful letter. She provided me with all of her letters um, from this period. The 10th of April, 1953, Ron Hubbard writes to her and says, what do you think of the religion angle? And he complains that they're not making enough money. And he thinks that this this could shine up his operating scope. I'm not quite sure what that means. (laughs) But what do you think of the religion angle? And Helen O'Brien thinks it's a dreadful idea because we're being scientific, aren't we? We don't want this. But that's April. Come December, he's done the the Philadelphia doctorate course. She ran all of that. Come the end of the year, she's gone. And he goes to Camden, New Jersey, secretly, and he never admitted this. We only found this out when we got the registrations from Camden. and there are still people who accept the story that he gave, which is that he didn't start it off as a church. It was a guy called Burton Farber in California in February 1954. Well, that's not true. The registrations uh, for the Church of Scientology, the Church of Human Engineering, and the Church of American Science are all made in December 1953. And the Church of American Science is the one where we pause because he admits it's in the um, modern management technology defined, the admin dictionary. Because Hubbard never checked anything, somebody found a reference to the Church of American Science and it's right in there in their dictionary. And the idea is this is a Christian church. Right. This is the first time he's used the word church, which is, by the way, a word for a Christian collection, ecclesias or church, means Christians, just as synagogue means Jews. I don't know if he's the first person to transfer the word over to a you know, a non-Christian organization. I haven't checked that, but he's certainly one of the early ones. Church of American Science is why? Because this will recruit Christians, and I quote, 
move them on to something better like Scientology. So his whole idea, he's now got the religion angle that, that yeah. he can protect himself from the tax people. He can protect maybe. And he never did pay taxes, to be fair. Yeah. He always, you know, they didn't have tax exemption. They didn't pay taxes. They can also be protected. And something very dangerous has happened. Wilhelm Reich, one of Freud's last pupils who went a little bit crazy and had people wearing tinfoil hats, yeah. um, he goes to prison for practicing medicine without a license. And so Hubbard sees that there is a very real threat. Yeah. And by saying, hey, all these claims I'm making, they're spiritual. It'll cure your spiritual cold. It'll raise your spiritual IQ. It'll cure your spiritual cancer. And and the way he goes. And then he, yeah, one of the things that's said in Scientology is if you you have to leave places because you've committed transgressions, you've done yeah. something wrong. Hubbard moves every few months. Right. <laughs> and I was gonna say too, like, you know, you're saying like the FDA came after them and you know, so on the e-meters, you know, the only thing that happened from that. Are things like a little a little uh, certificate is on those e meters now that says this device doesn't cure anything? Doesn't mean but it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, but we no, we don't see, like I didn't see it as that. I just saw no, the it word as, as a legal. So well, no, I just thought it was just like oh, they were forced to do that, you know. But, yeah, and it, even it, when you ask, and even when you ask, like, why does it say that? I mean, you do say that we're going to cure ourselves of cancer, not only in Dianetics but then on OT five in the confidential levels you also say that we're curing ourselves of lung cancer of all this stuff and and they go well the sps forced us to put that on the uh on their mm. immunity and they put these disclaimers and all it's just from the sps you know the sps and you're like oh yeah the fucking sps Evil yeah, just, that's exactly right yeah the whole Every, everything is like that yeah it's whole, all, so, it's, and it's like you I, know the fda think they did something they didn't right like you didn't help anybody by doing that, because nobody's looking at that. No Scientologist is looking at that as, hey, that's a reprimand because you were making claims that did, that you actually can't deliver on or you're, you know, uh, claiming to practice medicine without a light. Like nobody, no Scientologist sees that as like, it, the only thing that's going to communicate to people who are in is they get a rate, you know, the, the FBI raids Scientology and they are, or, or the IRS uh, takes away their tax exemption. I mean, that's th those are the only things that are going to work. I, and I don't don't you agree, that's... Mike? I, I'm I'm not sure that that those things just in and of themselves will work because well, it'll get, it'll it already happened once. It that was well, in the 70s, yeah. Yeah, but people, there there is a story that is that's just the SPs. It's just the government suppressives. It's this. It's that. What my belief is that will actually do this is mm. I think that taking away tax exemption is the real key, not because they have to pay taxes, but because they have to become transparent right. and where the money is going now becomes accessible and finding out how much of the tens of millions that they've sucked out of people have they actually spent on volunteer minister programs or helping children in Africa or whatever, or even on buying buildings, that will have an impact on existing Scientologists, I believe. And 
that is why I keep pushing the, you know, I'm on this hobby horse about the exempt yeah. status, but not because the, the loss of, of tax exempt money, but because of the loss of tax exempt protection, protection. Yeah, that makes from sense. oversight yeah, yeah. and that, yep. but you know, Hubbard, he took then, uh, and as John had alluded to earlier, started now the Church of Scientology and then reincorporated once Di he got Dianetics back, now reincorporated Dianetics into it under the umbrella of this is a religious activity now. It's no longer, it's no longer I'm doing some sort of quack psychotherapy or healing practices. I'm practicing religion. And Dianetics is now falls under the big umbrella of the religion of Scientology, and that affords it enormous protection. So even though these same claims are made, you'll see Hubbard wrote a, a, a bulletin later on that said, basically, look, we're curing, we're, we're curing the Thetan, and we believe that the Thetan is the senior entity Thetan mind body. The Thetan is the senior entity. So if we address the Thetan, it will cure the mind and the body. And that's what we believe in Scientology. So all you people who want to claim that we're practicing medicine without a license, you can go suck it because we're practicing Thetan improvement with yeah. a license. Yeah, it, it, I, I'm not sure how... <laughs> Faith healing is is a fact in the United States of America. That the Steve Martin Deborah Winger movie Leap of Faith is based on a real story. Um, Elmer Gantry, Burt Lancaster, a real story. You you can't get rid of these things. Faith no, but 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 this is semantics, everybody. Because because if 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 you're claiming that the Scientology is based on the on 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 a basic concept, the basic concept is. We believe that the spirit can heal the body, right? We're saying that. We're saying we have an actual science. We have science, fact-based. We have done the research. I'm a engineer. I'm a physics major. I'm a war. I'm a recipient of the Purple Heart. Like we're, Two we're what? Two Purple Hearts. Two Purple Hearts. Right. Sorry. Uh, you know. We're not, we're not talking about somebody who, you know, we go to here in LA who like, you know, hums over your body. Like, you know what you're getting into when you go into that person, right? We all like, you know what I'm saying? When people say like, I, you know, this is a massage. I go, do you put your fucking hands on me and get some shit out of my butt? Cause if it's all that other, like, I don't want a crystal over me. You know, I don't I, like, are you going to put your fucking elbow in my ass and, and get that pain Probably out of my not. fucking... I don't mean in my. But, but something this is like not a sexual <laughs> thing, John. This is not a sexual thing, so I don't I'm want. I'm glad you've made that clear. <laughs> <laughs> but Scientology Dianetics does not claim to be that type of faith healing. Maybe they have pulled the wool over other people's eyes, but they are certainly there's a difference between what Scientology is selling that's and like that's a faith like healing. That's you know? what that statement in the beginning of every Scientology book does say. Yeah. See, where I'm put up short here is, is that I don't think that taking their tax exemption away is going to do very much other than 
mean that they've got less money, and they've got plenty of money. They've probably got three billion or so. Um, I think that we have to go to the psychology, and the psychology is absolutely and definitely the work of Leon Festinger, which is the most tested hypothesis in all of psychology, which is cognitive dissonance. He put it forward in the 50s, and what he said was, if you believe something strongly, the better the evidence against it is, the more firmly you will hold on to your belief. Sure. We this see that every day. In 10,000 experiments. So with Scientologists, you have to undermine their certainty. Why are they no, sure? that I that I get. We've talked about this in part one, and I and I agree yeah. with you wholeheartedly. Mm. But what we're talking about is agencies, outside agencies, right? Like, I don't think there's much they can do about it. I think mm. it is down to whether people will believe. Look at Australia, where three of the six states actually banned Scientology, and it came back as the Church of the New Faith right. after 14 arrests. Mm -hmm. You have to actually get into the hearts and minds of the believers to change it. Well, if that'd be great if we could talk to them. We can't talk to them, John. They can't talk to us. Well, but you can get to them and you can get information through. I've, I've done it for a very long time. I know it can be done. Well, I don't have the patience for it. Well, it's, it's, not <laughs> it's not even a matter of you, you're doing it right now. You've been doing it for years. I know. I'm kidding. I know. Our fucking lives are dedicated to this. I know, John. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Mine isn't, you know, happily. But I'm, I'm happy to come back and help every now and Thank then. You. Thank but you. But by getting this information out there, yeah. by undermining certainty, it, you know, I never thought that I'd stop Scientology when I left, when I realized in 84 that it was dangerous. Yeah. It wasn't just good fun. People were being killed. Yes. People were dying as a consequence of their involvement, whether through suicide or through misadventure. People's lives were being messed up. Families were being torn apart. People were being bankrupted. Also that this vampire, this big fat vampire with rotten teeth could accumulate $648 million, yeah. you know, and that's what he didn't manage to spend. He managed to spend probably that much. Yeah. I saw that and said, you know, we, we probably need to do something about this. And in understanding, you know, the first thing is you get the accurate information and then you get this shock that you take information to people and you say, look, here are the documents. And they go, don't believe them. Yep. You know, here's him saying it, and you yes. go, oh, well, don't believe that. You know, that They've come into this imaginary world, which is Hubbard world, yeah. where they so desperately, like those people at the Transcendental Meditation Lecture, they want to be healed, and they become auditing junkies. They, they become ever more desperate for that euphoria that you get in the session, the very good indicators which indicates that you've moved into an altered state, uh, right. what most people would call a hypnotic state, where you feel happy for three days sure. until the roller coaster effect and, and back you go. Yeah. There's, it's, it's gradually undermining that and putting it in context. There are worse groups. Okay. There are groups that are going out there and killing large numbers of people. Um, Boko Haram, <laughs> for example, in Nigeria. Yeah, and no. Uh, yes, but they're, they, they don't have tax exemptions. 
they don't, are they not recognized as a church, are they? <laughs> not not in Nigeria, I don't think. Oh, okay, who, yeah. knows, who knows what? The, but, but there are many, you know, the um, movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments is almost unheard of in the West. Yet 500 members of this group killed themselves in the year 2000. We talk about Jonestown because they were U.S. citizens. But in Africa, 500 people died. Right. And it's to, what I'm saying is there are thousands of groups like Scientology. There is nothing exclusive about Scientology except possibly that Scientology is the most complicated and has the most amount of stories in it. But there are groups all over the world that are getting people to do dreadful predatory things to other sure. people. Yes. And it, you know, understanding that and doing something about that, which you are doing, which you have been doing, and I applaud you for it. Thank you, Mwini. Well, we just happen to know about Scientology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, uh, I mean, that's sort of... Well, we know that we could, we could possibly do something about it because we do know so much about it, right? Right. And what uh, you have yeah. done has also yeah. affected, for example, the Jehovah's Witness community, that, that the work you've done. Jehovah's Witnesses sort of saying, well, this sounds awfully like what we do. I, I have a little book called um, Scientology, the Cult of Greed, and I have a counselor friend who deals with hundreds of different groups. And it, it used to be the first book he gave to anybody because he mm. said, whatever your group did to you, mm -hmm. Scientology does the lot. You'll find it in here. It'll be <laughs> one of the things that's done. Now, now he gives them copies of my book, Opening Our Minds, because that's got even more in. Yeah, good. But Scientology... It just, it just has ev everything you can do to a human being to manipulate them, to enslave them, to hypnotize them, is gathered together in one place. Yeah. Ontology. And it leads people to believe that they really are superhuman, that they really do have this power of intention to make things happen. And that all started to come about in 1952 with this new thing that Hubbard had got where he was, he was telling you, yeah, the greatest lie in Scientology is the idea that you can make things happen by wishing for them, postulating. He takes this word meaning a philosophical premise and says, oh, it now means a wish. And that too spreads into society, the law of attraction, the secret, Christian science, the power of prayer. There are lots of groups, Ichu and Shosu, who believe you can do this. And then you flip it and you say, and if things go badly for you, it's because your intention isn't good enough. And if your intention isn't good enough, it's because you're not ethical. Right. It's because you are a bad and sinful person. And inside you, you have this terrible agency, reactive mind, your body fate and clusters, whatever it's meant to be, that you know nothing about, that's ruling your life secretly. Sell people that bill of goods and they'll keep paying forever. And that is the genesis of Scientology. Through the 50s, he barely makes anything. It's only in 1963, I reckon, when uh, Kevin Victor Anderson in Victoria has his inquiry that suddenly there's media all over the world for Scientology. And that media creates a following. When Alexander Mitchell in the Sunday Times says he was involved with black magic, people started joining in. 
I've interviewed so many people over the years who said, oh, well, I was told that he was doing Crowley stuff and I, I was interested in that. You know? oh, wow. So yeah. you have to get it over to them that it is sinister and dangerous, but it's also yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Which is where South Park, I think, really scored and you know, I think achieved more than I'd done, you know, with just that one episode by saying it's right. ridiculous, don't get involved in it. Right, right. In 1974 is the last time that you see what is claimed for Scientology. What, what Scientology that? will actually exist, will, will actually achieve. The, the bridge, as we saw it, with all of the states, all of them were taken off above clear. This still has what you're meant to achieve. Um, and again, their claims of cure, so they were dangerous. What's the name of it? It, it's the it's the 1968 publication. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The Book of Basics. It has okay. in it states attained the original bridge, yeah. and it's just to say that what Scientology is meant to achieve yeah. is the operating Thetan state, which is achieved at section eight of the operating Thetan course, and that is the ability to be at cause knowingly and at will over thought, life, form, matter energy, space, and time, uh, subjective and objective. What does that mean in English? <laughs> that means you'll be able to do anything you want. You'll be able to make things disappear and appear. You'll be able to make people do what you want. You'll be able to control physical matter completely, make it melt, make it appear, levitate, anything and everything. You will be at cause over physical and mental. And this is was the state that was put forward by Hubbard in 1952. Right. He'd given us clear first off, which would, you know, give us this super IQ and all of our emotional stability and what have you. Yeah. But the what he was promising from 1952 right through to his death was that you'd be able to leave your body, uh -huh. float around, Look into FBI files so you wouldn't need to hire an intelligence agency to do it for you. Oh, no, that didn't work, did it? No. You'd be a, a god. Yeah. You'd be superhuman. And the thing is, they're still promising these things today, John, even though yeah. those, those, and yeah, you know, the, the, same the words, but you know, no, pretty much in the same words. They just don't put it in writing. Just as yes, fair exactly game. It is not in writing anymore, but they still say the way to treat an SP, you you know what to do. <laughs> yeah, it causes bad public relations if we call it fair game. But, right. but you're exactly right, Leah. If you yeah. sit down in front of a Scientology fundraiser or registrar, as they are called, yeah. and he is trying to, or he or she is trying to persuade you to hand over your cash yeah. to do the next level, they will tell you literally exactly what john just said exactly or any version of it that seems to be what you want yes uh, meaning if you say i want to be able to make my dog follow me down the street they will yeah. tell you that this yeah, next auditing level will will accomplish that yep. you will be able to guaranteed make your dog follow you down the street and that's what they tell scientologists who are sick Yes. You'll be able to cure yourself if you just get to OT5 and 7 yes. and 8. If and you get well, to 5, 7, and 8. You get this story that Brown McKee told at the Clearwater hearings. After 24 years in Scientology, um, he said his wife got sick with cancer. Yeah. And he went down to Florida, 
to Clearwater and, and said, what are we going to do about this? And they gave him a card for the Hoxie Clinic in Mexico or one of these clinics. And when they got there, he said the waiting room was full of Scientology OTs. Right. People who had been promised all of these things. And when they fell sick, because they did not seek treatment immediately, I'm pretty sure. They went downhill and ended up, you know, with faith healers and faith fakirs in in Mexico. And, and you know, I'm, I'm going to mention a particular name here because it was something that distressed me. There was a woman called Christina Haas, German woman, uh, who I really didn't know, but I met her a couple of times when I was still involved, and she was a really happy, cheerful, attractive woman in her 40s probably, and then she disappeared. And I later talked with the person, you know, two years later, talked with the woman who had baby watched her, which is a way of making sure that she did not tell the world as a Scientologist that she was terminally ill with cancer and that she died. She actually died in a Buddhist monastery where they looked after. Scientology has no such care or concern and no resistance to disease. We really, when I left, we started figuring little group of us there were so many high-ranking scientologists who oh, died yeah of- and you're just told you know people are disappearing all the time you're told oh this we sent them off to australia to they're on a secret mission only come to find out they've been dead for years <laughs> or they're somewhere dying by themselves right. because they won't tell um, people look you know this one got cancer because the question is well wait a minute you're promoting that we don't get cancer why are why is somebody dying of cancer again an ot somebody who reach the levels of, and then by the way, if they're not OT, it's, well, they weren't OT. Or if they're not clear, they, they weren't clear. If they are clear, they're like, well, they missed something or they didn't get to PTS. the OT levels quick. And like, there's always a fucking reason, but it's never like, hey. And at the end of their life, they, they're like, sorry, kid, better luck next time. Pick up a new body. We'll yep. see you then. It, it, it's just, it's, anyway, um, John, <laughs> once again. <laughs> On that depressing note. Well, no. <laughs> Uh, listen, and we escaped, uh, huh? <laughs> and we escaped. We escaped, and- but also we're 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 hopefully uh, cautioning people who have uh, who are in Scientology, who are making the grave, you know, committing sin and a high crime in Scientology by listening to this, or somebody who has a friend or a family member in Scientology. You know, we hope that these conversations, are, you know. Uh, push you to get them out because it it could be dire. And, uh, you know, we hope to have people avoid this kind of pain, whether it's Scientology or some other cult type thinking, you know, we just hope to free your mind of this craziness that just leads to nowhere good. Um, I think it's working because Scientology is shrinking. Yes. Oh, we know. Yes. That, that we should be. 25,000 paid up members. Internationally, yeah. in the census in this country in 2011, only 2,000 people said they were Scientologists. Right. And that includes all the family members who thought they'd better put that on the form. Yeah. So <laughs> that year, there were more than 100,000 Jedi. So <laughs> the Jedi is a much faster growing religion than Scientology. Oh, God. I was told today there's a Harry Potter religion. I can't. I can't. Following snapes or something. I so, can't. You know, all much bigger than Scientology. So I think it is happening. And I think yeah. that Scientology is shrinking on itself. 
but it yeah a dinosaur has a very little brain but a very big body and the big yeah. body in this case is about three billion dollars right so yeah it might take a little while but just as Jiddu Krishnamurti, when he ascended to the messiahhood of uh, theosophy, he, he gave away all the money. <laughs> and my hope was always that, that you know, when Miscavige finally shuffles off this mortal coil, that somebody will come along and say, I'm giving all the money away. This is a scam. Yeah, uh, well, it'd be great if it went back to the people who, who have their money on account who can never get it back. Yeah, it'd yep. be good if everybody yeah. who paid anything in got their money back. There was a class action in Los Angeles called uh, Freedom for All in Religion, FAIR, which Hannah and Jerry Whitfield and various other people were involved in. And I consulted to them, and it was it was 1988. I was in L.A., and I had no idea what we were going to do, but the judge had turned down their petition four times. Normally, yeah. a judge would have just thrown it out. Yeah. And because they hadn't proved that they were suing a class, that all of the 400 Scientology organizations was actually a monolithic organization. I proved that for them. But they also hadn't proved that they were a class, the 420 people who were suing. Mm -hmm. And there was a problem because I put it to them. The only hope you've got because of the religious protection is to go after the modern science of mental health. Mm -hmm. this pro you know, these project, these things that you've been promised that you know, you'll get, you were all promised it, you won't get it. Six months later, I called up to say, well, what happened? And I was told, well, the judge accepted the corporate monolith argument, but we didn't want to denigrate the state of clear. <laughs> so they hadn't quite got far enough out of Scientology. <laughs> you know, to do it. But, you know, a class uh, action uh, is not possible. Unfucking real. All right. Well, John, thank you so much again for, for joining you. us. And uh, you, you were just amazing. And, and thank you all to, uh, to you guys for listening to this craziness. Tell you where to buy my books. <laughs> yes, it'll, be, it'll be on the website and on my blog again, John. Yes, we're going to put John's books on, on Mike's website. Sadly, we want to end today's episode with a tribute to our good friend, Ron Miscavige, who today this morning lost his battle with cancer he was a powerful voice against the abuses of scientology he was a friend to the aftermath a friend to this podcast and a friend to us personally yes mike you know uh becky we you know obviously we're we're all very close and we've been connected all these years uh ron is the father of the leader of scientology he wrote a book uh, which we're going to put up for you guys, but he uh, was an amazing man. And now I, I've known Ron throughout my years as a parishioner in Scientology. He never uh, not made me laugh. And the thing that Ron would do that, you know, the first time I met him, he did this and he would do this every single time I saw him or talked to him. He'd walk by a, <laughs> he'd walk by a mirror and like do a double take and he'd go, how do you fucking do it? <laughs> and it just it just made me laugh every time and so he would do it for me every time how do you fucking do it looking at himself and um but he was so um giving to us he was so supportive of us and uh obviously going through his own pain of disconnection with his son and his family his daughters his grandchildren 
um, had all disconnected from him. And it was just basically him and Becky. And, uh, and he was fighting the good fight and he gave him hell. And uh, we're going to miss him. And we love you, Ron. We'll miss him greatly. And our thoughts are with his wife, Becky, and other family members. He recently wrote and recorded his last song in memory of this wonderful man. We leave you with Ron's theme, I'm happy.